Welcome to the Federal Executive Forum Series on Federal News Network. Here's your host, Luke McCormack. Good afternoon and welcome to this special edition of the Federal Executive Forum celebrating 18 years of profiling IT mission programs in the federal government. This is our 11th annual Profiles in Excellence program, which will be coming to you from the virtual studios of WTOP and the Federal News Network. I'm Luke McCormack, and during today's show, we will discuss IT program success stories and at numerous agencies and hear from the key leaders making them happen. With me on today's show are Beth Capello, Deputy Chief Information Officer, Department of Homeland Security, Danielle Metz, Director of Information Management and Technology, OSD, Chief Information Officer, Christine, Kristen Ruiz, Deputy Chief Information Officer, TSA, Rochelle Henderson, Chief Information Officer, Immigration and Customs Enforcement, Lalisha Hurt, Industry Advisor, Public Sector Federal Splunk, and Nick Saki, Principal Technologist, Federal Pure Storage. First, I want to say thank all of you for what you do every single day and the organizations that you run to keep this country safe and allow this country to prosper. With that, we're going to talk about 2023. Beth, we're going to start with you. And perhaps you can look at 2023 and sort of reflect back at sort of the, the tee up. You've been there at headquarters coming from one of the many operating components you worked in uh, to sort of set the table and really rebuild the engine at the Department of Homeland Security. Tell us about 2023 and beyond. Well, thanks again, Luke, for having me and for highlighting the great work at the Department of Homeland Security. And when I talk about what we've done in 2023 and I reflect on What's gone on from 2019 when I first arrived up at the head uh, at the headquarters entity, which is, you know, that's a really weird shift going from working with the operators directly uh, to being up at headquarters and and now being part of the uh, machinery that I used to make fun of all the time when I was down in the component. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I think we have done some amazing things. You know, we, we always talk about people, process and technology, um, people first. And if you just look at who you have on this panel right now, mm -hmm. that reflects some of the amazing work that has happened at DHS to elevate uh, amazing talent. And I, I look at somebody like Rochelle Henderson, who, as you know, served both at CBP and now is over as the CIO at ICE, you know, has had a long and uh, terrific career with uh, with DHS. And I, I look across the department leadership, you know, as you know, now, Luke, most of my uh, direct reports, my executive director, that whole team is coming from within DHS, uh, within com with component knowledge and experience. And I think we've just, we've created a really terrific environment where we're sharing best practices across a department that has a, a myriad of missions, right? We, we do everything from law enforcement to trade and travel facilitation to helping people on what might be the worst day of their life. So if I'm, if I'm talking about the thing I am most proud of, it's the people who serve the DHS mission um, and most specifically the DHS IT community. We've spent a lot of time focusing on um, establishing cohesion across DHS. And I'm not, I was going to mention what I am, what I am really proud of in, the, in some of the Southwest border technology integration work, but I would rather have Rochelle talk about those efforts since she was really leading um, collaboration across the components and driving some incredible operational changes. But 
Um, we've done a lot to shore up the infrastructure at DHS, established, uh, you know, our network operations and security center. We've modernized the network. We've stabilized the cloud infrastructure. We've delivered all kinds of capability. Um, as you, uh, you know, you've heard me talk about establishing a solutions delivery directorate at DHS headquarters, which didn't exist previously. We've established a customer experience directorate. Uh, we're leading in artificial intelligence. So the fundamentally, uh, DHS is moving at, you know, mock speed to deliver capability to the operators. And I think we have matured uh, tremendously over the last four and a half years um, from, a, from a people standpoint, uh, from a technology standpoint, and certainly we've begun to mature the processes at headquarters as well. I would venture to say that uh, more activity, more matureness, if if you will, has <laughs> happened in the last four and a half years than happened in the uh, the first 16 years of uh, the Department of Homeland Security's uh, conception, quite frankly, and hats off to you and all the other executives that were a big part of that. Let's move over to the Department of Defense. Danielle, we're going to ask you to sort of top line 2023 and all the various activities that have been going on over there. They're just absolutely phenomenal. Another extremely large agency uh, department, uh, global activity. Give us the state of the state. The state of the state. Well, thank you, Luke, for having me. And I'm um, honored to be uh, on, on this panel uh, with all these other um, truly amazing executives. And I'm sure you'll hear a lot of the same themes in terms of really focusing on people and why we come to service every day is for uh, for our staff, for the teams, for, for the Department of Defense, it's for a warfighter. Um, and so working to figure out as a chief information officer, how do you harness technology, which is a critical enabler to everything that we do, but really maximizing its power so that your, um, your teams your workforce are able to actually use the technology to be able to execute whatever their business outcome or mission is. Uh, so it's not that you're just pushing out technology for the sake of technology, but you're really refining those business processes to ensure that you're able to have conti continuous digital experience and that it's seamless to the user. Um, but in the back end, your CIO and the staffs are working tirelessly to make sure that that seamlessness is, is happening. As, a, um, as we look inwards to the Department of Defense, uh, we have an Office of Secretary of Defense. Um, the Deputy Secretary of Defense is the component head um, for the Office of Secretary of Defense. And the Office of Secretary of Defense is made up of 17 principal staff assistants. And those are the political appointees. Think the Secretary of um, Acquisitions and Sustainment, um, Secretary of uh, Research and Engineering. Uh, we have about uh, 20,000 staff that make up and support the secretary and the deputy secretary and this administration as we move forward to execute the national defense strategy. As we looked at OSD proper, there was no chief information officer servicing that uh, enterprise. And so therefore, the technology was incredibly subpar. And it was intentionally done that way because over time when we did cost efficiencies and IT uh, efficiencies, we treated technology as less than. And we accepted that we would have subpar technology in order to be able to scoop up whatever those savings are and apply them to other more uh, what were deemed uh, mission critical efforts and activities. Over time, I think there's been a recognition of the value and importance of technology. And you really need to have a strategist, which is your CIO, to come up with a vision 
and then be able to build a community, your customer base, um, who you service, to be able to make it user-centric so that the user is in the heart of your strategy, that they're able to see themselves in that strategy. You're able to find the problem sets and collectively come up with um, solutions and then advocate for the resources, do the implementation plans, have performance metrics to ensure that you're hitting the target, constantly having that user feedback, the accountability and the transparency. To me, that's the um, the essence of what a chief information officer brings to bear. Um, and so that is what we've endeavored over the past year to do. And so we've done a lot of the foundational blocks to be able to establish excuse me, established governance uh, structures so that we have a voice of the OSD bringing those 17 PSAs that were individually behaving and acting and trying to fend for themselves together and cohesively see themselves as a community, to have that community of practice so they can see themselves, um, be able to have a safe space to uh, to discuss their uh, their needs, their wants, their requirements, to be able to collectively prioritize their requirement, and then unified uh, going after those precious resources to be able to go after those very important technology activities of network simplification, cloud adoption, uh, standardization of um, your uh, your workspace, regardless of where your workspace is, whether you're a remote worker, um, home office, or actually physically here in the building. It shouldn't matter where you are. You should be able to have that instant connectivity and to be able to do the things that you need to do. Um, and to do them well, safely, and securely. And so those are uh, just a, a key things that we have done. Uh, I think the other thing that has been really important is establishing a uh, the user experience survey. Uh, so it's another opportunity for our users to be able to provide anonymous feedback, and we're able to really kind of calibrate and see where we are, what we're doing right, what we're doing wrong, and then through time, be able to adjust accordingly. Um, so it's this constant, continuous uh, what I'll call uh, goodness, right? So you're able to set the priorities, you know your customer base, you're able to agree what the problem set is, the solution set, implement, and you're constantly making sure that you're doing it the way that it needs to be done. Um, ever to for the point of having that continuous digital experience for, for the people who we come to serve. So I'm really proud to be a part of this organization and the team that created the Office of the OSD CIO. Fantastic. Those course corrections, really important to get that real-time feedback so that you can make adjustments accordingly. Beth talked about uh, several different uh, uh, executives that got pulled up from the various DHS operating components uh, and uh, and are now in these executive positions. Uh, the same thing actually happened at TSA. And then TSA made an absolute power move and pulled somebody from a different part of the federal community. I believe it was the Department of Transportation. Kristen came on board and uh, has been going at Mach 2 uh, running at the speed of light, quite frankly, over there at TSA to help implement the capabilities over there. I had an opportunity to see some of those capabilities earlier in the week, which is absolutely outstanding, some of the uh, technology that's being introduced in these airports. Kristen, why don't you give us a state of state as to what's been happening in 2023? Thank you very much for allowing me the opportunity to speak with you today. Um, at TSA, we continuously focus on supporting our frontline operations, as you alluded to, um, to improve travelers' experience and strengthen the security. Um, we just had our busiest travel year ever. Nearly 859 million passengers were screened at the TSA checkpoints, and that is about 12% increase over 2022. And just between December 21st and January 2nd, TSA screened more than 32 million passengers at our nation's security checkpoints. 
Our National Transportation Vetting Center set a new record by conducting a secure flight pre-screening of over 3.2 million passengers just on November 26th alone, which now makes it the busiest travel day ever of all time. Wow. So um, we recommend that passengers that who haven't signed up for pre-check yet, uh, we always have to get that plug in there, um, that we hope that you do so because 92% of the passengers with pre-check move through our checkpoints within 20 minutes. Um, we've had so many great opportunities to work and um, do some incredible work with our TSA workforce. So it's been a challenge just to come up with the few that I'd like to highlight today. But I would like to start with the work that we've done on TSA touchless pre-check. We've initiated a transformative approach to enhance the travel experience by implementing touchless pre-check systems across five major air airports to include LAX, JFK, Atlanta, DTW, and LGA. The innovative strategy um, featured a tablet-based technology, and it was developed in collaboration with our airline partners and CBP to introduce seamless biometric identity services so that passengers enrolled in the program could navigate security checkpoints by utilizing biometric identifiers, eliminating the need for physical document verification. This significantly expedited our screening process and it reduced our wait times and enhanced our overall throughput by about 30% in a reduction. And even in some airports, we saw a 40% less time in processing for the pre-check passengers. We, execute, we executed this in a whole TSA approach. This is an approach that we're taking to bring together the best of each office and our contracting and procurement experts to figure out a path forward that would help us meet our commitment while also exploring innovative de development approaches. I'm incredibly proud of the progress that we've made under Administrator Prokofsky's leadership and with the help of our interagency and industry partners, TSA encourages stakeholders in the aviation industry to make the necessary investments and co coordinate with us as appropriate in order to streamline air travel while enhancing security effectiveness. The next area that I'd like to highlight is the work that we've done with the second generation of credential authentication technology, also known as CAT2. TSA partnered with small businesses to develop a minimal viable product in just 10 weeks by integrating commercially available components with that would include kiosk, tablet, camera, and government furnished software. As we continue to deploy the CAT2 and mobile driver's licenses in about 27 or more airports across the nation, we also initiated the open system architecture for dynamic screening, which is a robust risk-based screening approach developed to go beyond pre-check standard and selectee. In 24, we will continue to develop identity verification solutions and expand over time through the collaboration with government and industry partners. And TSA will continue to invest in the technology and processes to make the traveler's experience easier and faster. We will progress on open architecture and engage with all industry in the development of advanced detection algorithms, leveraging machine learning. And we will continue enhancements in on-person screening with high-definition advanced imaging technology to support further improvements in detection performance and drive down false alarms, which will reduce the need to physically resolve alarms. We look forward to more collaboration and innovation in 2024 as we scale up our solutions to more airports across the country and continuing to develop innovative identity verification solutions to meet TSA's current and emerging mission needs. The last area I'd like to bring to your attention is the work that we've done to support the Traveler Redress Inquiry Program. We enhanced the public traveler's experience by bolstering DHS TRIP with multilingual capabilities such as adding non-English speaking languages to allow travelers to submit the 
the case in their preferred language. Our target is to expand these, ex these capabilities through government AI models, including text-to-voice functionalities and continue to incorporate additional languages. We wanna ensure our passengers have accessible solutions to meet their traveling needs. And I would just like to add that none of these accomplishments would be possible without the approach we have taken across TSA. The way that we've brought together our key players, offices and partners to the table, we look at how we can tackle these new challenges. We are one TSA, and that is a huge factor in why we are so successful. Fantastic. And like I said, I was just absolutely floored and delighted to see the technology that's being introduced in those checkpoints uh, earlier this week. Uh, we're going to take a short break. We're going to be right back. You're listening to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Network. For the 10th consecutive year in a row, Pure Storage has been named a leader in the 2023 Gartner Magic Quadrant for primary storage arrays, positioned highest for ability to execute and furthest for completeness of vision. Pure has also been named a leader for the third consecutive year for distributed file systems and object storage. Pure uncomplicates government data management. Check out the Gartner Report to learn how Pure can help your agency reach its data potential at purestorage.com forward slash government. Splunk makes organizations more digitally resilient. Leading organizations use our unified security and observability platform to keep their digital systems secure and reliable. Organizations trust Splunk to prevent infrastructure, application, and security incidents from becoming major issues, recover faster from shocks to digital systems, and adapt quickly to new opportunities. To learn more about how Splunk is supporting mission-critical programs in the government space, visit splunk.com public sector. Welcome back to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Network. We are talking about, well, quite frankly, we're talking about 2023 and the uh, top line various activities that have happened over these various programs. We're going to Immigration and Customs Enforcement. Rochelle Henderson is the Chief Information Officer, an incredible amount of activity going on over in that discipline. And Rochelle uh, can handle it flawlessly, came from CBP and some of the, the most uh, we'll say comprehensive programs over there, including the Border Patrol, Air Marine, et cetera, is now coordinating brilliantly, I might add, the Southwest border activities along with many other things. Rochelle, give us a state of the state top line activity for 2023. I'm gonna give a couple. Uh, so I'm the Chief Information Officer at ICE. Uh, when we talk about successes here at ICE, uh, we're really talking about a multi-year journey. I think earlier on, I heard the word maturity. And while we have a little bit of that, uh, at least especially in processes and infrastructure, I think our real evolution is in building on those foundations, uh, those process foundations, those people foundations uh, that, that some of my colleagues mentioned, uh, really they're foundations that both Luke and, and Beth uh, laid at, at ICE uh, over the years. Where we're really uh, evolving is moving into delivering technology solutions, especially at the Southwest border related to it with our law enforcement officers. Uh, in 2023, we, to continue a trend you've heard earlier uh, today, we really concentrated at ICE on the people. And I wanted to kind of talk about that in, in two high-level ways. Uh, the first is an in internal culture. Uh, within the Office of the Chief Information Officer, one of our strategic priorities over the last few years, and it's my personal favorite, so the one I care the most about, uh, is really our, our mission delivery culture. Uh, we defined that as mission as to why we do what we do. We don't just deliver technology, we're a part of the mission. Uh, delivery is what we do, uh, and culture is how we do it. 
uh, if you define culture, and this is the way I personally do it, so like simple definitions, uh, as the behaviors we live every day, I am extremely proud of, of our OCIO team uh, with whom I work. Uh, we've made significant progress uh, measured in a lot of different ways, right? When you talk about culture, federal employee viewpoint survey is important. Uh, it's certainly a traditional measure, but I think the, the biggest measure of culture is in our operational successes. Uh, there's a lot of examples of those, uh, but what I will say is our culture prioritizes communication and collaboration and not hierarchical uh, leadership within ICE. Most of the communication and collaboration that we emphasize in our culture within OCIO is our technicians working with our operators at ICE and with the other technologists in our uh, components and entities with whom we work. People you'll hear me talk a lot about, like at the department or like at USCIS or Customs and Border Protection, as well as the Executive Office of Immigration uh, Review, our court system at the DOJ. Uh, so when we talk about successes, my, my biggest success uh, uh, is watching my people deliver technology to the operators that's impacting them every single day. Uh, the other area in, in concentration on people at ICE in 2023 that's a big success is our recognition uh, that it's really important to use technology to interact more effectively with non-citizens. When you talk about what's happening at the southwest border, when you talk about immigration, the, we can use technology to make it much more easy and effective uh, for non-citizens to follow the rules, to follow compliance, and for us to be able uh, to do our job within the immigration uh, system. So as border encounters rose at the border, I invested in uh, more, being more transparent and interacting with non-citizens. One of our biggest successes was launching our redesign of our, our uh, ICE portal. That's the way in which we're going to uh, interact with non-citizens when you can use technology to do so. And I'll talk a little bit more about that success later. So when you look at successes for ICE and OCIO in 2023, it's all about the people, our people and all people. The, the, the people are definitely the machinery and the fact that you're able to incorporate some of this technology to make that, uh, that transaction, if you will, with the, uh, with the, uh, the non-citizens is fantastic. I really do appreciate that. Lalisha, let's talk about Splunk and how Splunk incorporates this, this technology and enables these various missions. I think Splunk is in probably every one of these agencies, I would imagine, and very much embedded in the solution capability to enable some of these successes that we've described. Absolutely. So first and foremost, thank you for hosting us, Luke, and for having me today. Just a little bit about Splunk. So we are working across all three branches of U.S. government, as well as 15 cabinet level departments to solve mission critical challenges, helping them maintain secure and reliable digital systems that we know are needed to support things like homeland security, our war fighters, immigration, um, transportation, safety, and so much more. We've had the pleasure of working alongside many on this broadcast to help them align to and achieve their strategic goals whether that was turning to data-driven strategies for crypto cases at ICE or helping to secure data with major TS programs that Kristen mentioned like Secure Flight and Clear, um, or helping to modernize network and security operations across the enterprise at DHS with Beth. And so our focus over the last year, Luke, has really been on digital transformation initiatives that help agencies strengthen preparedness and resilience, as well as helping agencies to improve the residence experience around things like how we administer education. 
taxes, retirement claims, housing loans, as well as healthcare benefits. And so while we have many accomplishments, I think to highlight from last year, the one that truly stands out for me, Luke, is related to people, which is a common theme here and really relates to our residents. And that is our ability to support the centers of Medicare and Medicaid services, also known as CMS, in the largest ever open enrollment for the U.S., so 14.5 million consumers attain healthcare from the healthcare.gov platform. As a critical function of the U.S. government, healthcare.gov was actually monitored using our enterprise and mission-critical business intelligent insights. We were able to um, enable the identification and triage of any disruption to consumers' ability to apply for and enroll in healthcare making sure that systems were stable, reliable, and most importantly, available 24 by seven. Additionally, we um, enable visibility into the entire service technology stack for investigations that supported almost 30 disparate platforms, as well as we supported 800 plus internal Splunk users at the agency, which is huge. And then lastly, what I'll say, Luke, is the private and public partnership with CMS and so many other government agencies has truly been foundational for us and probably one of the biggest keys to our success. Um, we partner with DHS and CISA as a member of the Joint Cyber Defense Collaborative, also known as JCDC, where we work closely with CISA's operations team on high-profile cyber attacks to continue delivering on the nation's cyber strategy, strategy together. And this was actually our theme and focus at our most recent um, Splunk Gov Summit in December, where we kind of gathered in DC to discuss topics related to not only our nation's security, but also one of our greatest assets, which is our workforce. And so we look forward to maturing these partnerships this year as well as beyond. We really appreciate you highlighting the workforce, Splunk being such an instrumental part of the uh, the implementation of these various solutions that are, once again, trying to... Uh, well, not trying are keeping these uh keeping our country safe. Nick Saki, let's talk about uh data. Let's talk about storage. Let's talk about beyond storage and the things that pure storage does and will continue to do to help implement these various capabilities. Thanks, Luke. I have to say, first off, it's very, very uh good. It's a great honor to be amongst uh this group of CIOs and my colleague Lalisha from Splunk. Um I retired from the Army 10 years ago, and we were struggling with something called big data, trying to leverage data as an operational asset. And really, if you think about it, information technology exists to enable us to make better, smarter, more effective decisions and deliver better outcomes with the enormous quantities of data that we can uh, collect, analyze, assess, and off of which we make decisions that drive policy, drive our missions, and help us maintain a more secure nation. We've witnessed some tremendous uh, evolutions in the last 10 years. We thought we had big data in 2013. Who knew it would be this big? So what drove me into the field I'm in is how do we service and manage data at enterprise scale, at government scale, or now that we're in space, at galactic scale, in order to enable us to be more effective. So we are, we've seen a really interesting set of technological evolutions over the last 15 years or so. We went from floppy disks to CD-ROM drives, Blu-ray drives, USB sticks. All right, if you think about that, the evolution of data at the very capillary edge of the edge has gone from a, a 1950s or 60s technology to a memory-based technology. And at cost points that were you know, tremendously better 
you got good, fast, and cheap, which you can only do anytime you have a technology transformation. So over the course of the past year, what I think I'm most proud of is the evolution of data systems designed to address the low, vol low volume and low velocity performance parameters for enterprise infrastructure. We launched our 75 terabyte direct flash modules last year, which gave us the ability to put multiple petabytes of data service capacity in a 3U or 5U form factor. This is unprecedented. It drives down the cost of data by 95 to 98%. So it gives agencies tremendous benefits in terms of performance and sustainability. And we're going to see that continue over the course of the next couple of years as we go to 150 terabyte drives and 300 terabyte drives. Just let that sink in for a moment. A 300 terabyte disk drive. Well, not disk drive, really a solid state drive. If you can deliver that capacity with performance parameters that are previously unimaginable, but make it ubiquitous, make it accessible, you fundamentally transform all the enterprise infrastructure, whether that's in the cloud or on-premises, everywhere around the world. Now, the funny part about that is it almost becomes invisible. You, you get much better performance, much better sustainability, but you don't really realize the transition happening. I always point to people to uh, flat screen TVs, flat screen monitors. And it was only 15 years ago, everybody had a CRT on their desk. Your monitor was like two feet deep and it was only like 17 inches wide. Now you've got 30 inch and, and, and on your desk and they're, they're almost paper thin. They consume about, you know, 95% electricity, less electricity, but you don't really notice the change because you're still interacting with the technology the same way you always have. Smartphones did the same thing for us. I only carry one device with me when I travel anymore. I don't have a camera and a GPS and a phone and a, and a, and a, because it's all in one device. So that technology transition, that displacement of memory-based storage systems displacing hard disks is actually now upon us. The only thing we'll probably really notice is, number one, it's gonna cost us a whole lot less and everybody on this, on this panel has a budget that they're keenly aware of, a limited set of resources that they get to deploy in order to address their agency needs and missions. But the other thing that the end users are gonna notice is that everything got a whole lot faster, a whole lot more stable, a whole lot more efficient. And the operators who have to deliver this technology are going to have a much, much more efficient day-to-day -day experience as they are able to deliver, you know, transformational data services at petabyte and exabyte scale in ways that we never before were able to deliver on. So we're living in interesting times. Um, you know, flash-based systems have now hit the same cost points as disk-based systems. So a 20th century technology is going to, you know, gradually transition over the next couple of years into still having a role because it has a role. I mean, tape isn't gone, paper and ink aren't gone. But we're going to see a fundamental shift in how we execute our data services and the material with which we execute our data services across, really, uh, for the scope of this panel, across government. But really, if you think about it, it's going to be across humanity. So it's it's that's the thing I think I'm most proud of. And, and we're, I really we're getting to the point now where we can deliver data at cost points and in capacities and scales that we never have before. And that's good for us. And uh, we really do appreciate all that Pure Storage is doing to unlock this capability, reduce the cost, enable these different types of technologies to happen. We're going to roll over to priorities. I'm going to ask for your top two priorities. I know that's always tough over the next one or two years. Danielle, I'm going to start with you. What's the, the absolute focus, top two priorities for you in your organization over the next year or two? 
So for ours, it is kind of a revolution on how we are doing our service desk here in the Pentagon Reservation. Uh, it is a wholesale change of um, the technology, the processes, and the people. Um, and so this is, it started um, January 1st uh, with the, uh, the the transformation of the technology. Uh, and so you can imagine with any big change, there are fits and starts. Uh, people get used to what was old uh, because they're comfortable with it, even though they complain about it and they didn't like it, it was familiar. And so we are uh, working really hard with our user base to ensure that they have that transition um, where we are able to focus on the business processes and to really showcase the improvements um, quite quickly on when you modernize tools and how you're able to do things in a better way and kind of transform how you were doing it, where you were kind of stitching things together to make it work. And you just got used to being able to do it and you got really good at it. Moving away from that and really having the technology drive how uh, we're able to really harness and improve business processes for a better outcome. And so that is going to be uh, a, a year journey, the technology is here, then it's ensuring that the users know how to use it. So there's a lot of dynamic training uh, engagements that are taking place that we have planned. Uh, we have Excite Days to really highlight um, and to get um, the customer base excited about it. And then we're also monitoring the effectiveness of this new technology with the um, increased business processes through those user surveys that I mentioned. So last year we were able to baseline uh, what was current status, the here and now, uh, back in 2023. Now we have new data, uh, new questions that we're targeting for 2024 to ensure that the technology that we are delivering with the business processes that we are improving and continuously improving are hitting the mark and are, are making uh, things better for, for our users here uh, in the Pentagon Reservation. Uh, so that is a big activity that we're doing. The second priority that we have is I know that um, cloud adoption has been around for quite a, a while, but mm -hmm. here internally to OSD, we are woefully behind. And that is because we did not have a, a CIO for uh, 10 plus years. And so we are working uh, together with our, our partners at the Defense Information Systems Agency, mm -hmm. um, with uh, General Services Administration and others um, to create a corporate playbook on the business processes needed for our uh for our, our data owners to understand what it takes to be able to evaluate where there is the best targeted cloud environment. And then the supporting technology processes that go about um, to plan that out from um, the rationalization of your applications and your workloads to the funding, to the um, to the schedule. And then once you're in a, a targeted cloud environment, how do you use that effectively to be able to be more dynamic and really harness the ubiquitous access to which cloud affords, whereas that's what not what we were experiencing when you were in a, a physical legacy data center? So those are the two big things. Again, the focus really is on the people. And I think it's um, it's heartwarming to hear across the spectrum and the different parts in the federal um government and then with our partners in industry, how they really are supporting the value of what we're trying to do with people first, and then how technology is used to ensure that the that our workforce, particularly for the Department of Defense, our warfighter, how we are able to make them safe and secure and effective in the jobs that they are executing. Fantastic. It looks like you got your work cut out for you, and we appreciate the uh, the top line there. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News 
Network. Splunk makes organizations more digitally resilient. Leading organizations use our unified security and observability platform to keep their digital systems secure and reliable. Organizations trust Splunk to prevent infrastructure, application, and security incidents from becoming major issues, recover faster from shocks to digital systems, and adapt quickly to new opportunities. To learn more about how Splunk is supporting mission-critical programs in the government space, visit splunk.com public sector. For the 10th consecutive year in a row, Pure Storage has been named a leader in the 2023 Gartner Magic Quadrant for primary storage arrays, positioned highest for ability to execute and furthest for completeness of vision. Pure has also been named a leader for the third consecutive year for distributed file systems and object storage. Pure uncomplicates government data management. Check out the Gartner Report to learn how Pure can help your agency reach its data potential at purestorage.com forward slash government. Welcome back to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Network. We're talking about 2023 and the major accomplishments. Specifically now, we're talking about priorities for this year and next year. Let's go to Kristen over at TSA. Top two priorities. I know there's a lot of activity going on at TSA. What's the top two coming out of the CIO shop? Well, the first goal I'd like to really highlight is um, attracting top technical talent. And... um, That's really important to us because we recognize that our workforce is our biggest asset. So uh, we believe in harnessing the full potential of our workforce. Our talent management approach goes beyond recruitment. We are focusing on nurturing, developing, and retaining top talent. And IT will attract, hire, develop, and retain diverse technology talent to ensure that we have high-performing workforce. It's not just about bringing in the new folks. It's about making an environment where folks want to come. So that's a top priority for us. Um, The other priority I'd like to really talk about is our desire to increase speed to impact. TSA IT will build a culture of innovation that can anticipate the ever-changing IT landscape and facilitate speed to decision. We are committed to providing simplified ways to engage with our customers and leverage automation to reduce workload for our partners and stakeholders across the organization while still ensuring that we are building success and secure responsible solutions, we are looking for ways to be more efficient and get the technology in the hands of our workforce faster. We really do appreciate that. And we uh, absolutely uh, appreciate the focus on people first, right? You gotta have the talent in the building to do all the important things that you all are doing. Lalisha at Splunk, top priority, uh, top two priorities for you all as you're looking to uh, help enable this capability. Absolutely. So our focus is on growth, which means we'll continue to invest in innovation and customer-facing resources. Our three key operating principles, Luke, are around continuing to innovate across all environments, including on-prem. Um, we also want to make it seamless to operate in this hybrid world that we live in today and then lastly, we'll be investing in leading federated capabilities so that agencies can focus on mission and access and not ingest. We'll continue powering um, the modern SOC with observability, and we're doubling down on helping our public co- public sector customers build digital resilience through comprehensive data access, as well as visibility, which is underpinned by our continued investment in our AI framework and machine learning capabilities, which is going to keep us all busy for years to come. 
we're committed to also bringing compliance solutions to our government partners. So we're investing to further expand our FedRAMP program to include observability cloud and SOAR. And we are in process to bring Splunk Cloud to FedRAMP High. We actually have our agency ATO and we're eagerly awaiting official approval from the FedRAMP P PMO. So stay tuned. Uh, love the call out on the FedRAMP stuff. I know that's really important. And we do appreciate, I know the community really appreciates moving away from just pure ingest to uh, you know, sort of up the value chain, if you will. Absolutely. Beth, we're going to throw it over to you. Top two priorities. I know there's a lot of moving parts over there. Uh, but as you focus at the top, looking around, what is the uh, the, the top two priorities for the Department so, of Homeland Security for the next two years? So um, I was making jokes when I was out in Vegas for GVEF. Um, uh, we've put AI in the center of the bingo card now. So uh, we've mm -hmm. moved away from... Uh, the, the last round. Um, so AI all day, every day. And that's AI is an enabler of our operational mission. Um, I think, uh, you know, we've, we are at DHS are leading the way on looking at AI at a very tactical, very operational um, tools level. So, um, so that's exciting. Um, then on the second piece, I think, uh, Kristen, we, we all talk about people, right? I mean, we don't get this work done without having amazing talent, uh, folks who are committed to the mission. So we're going to continue that work. Uh, we've, we've got a 98% fill rate at, uh, DHS headquarters, which is just absolutely unheard of. And so what we want to do is continue uh, bringing on top talent. I mentioned cohesion earlier. We've put some programs into place, uh, both from a, a recruiting and attraction standpoint, our internship and our apprenticeship programs. We've established the DHSIT immersion program so that we are treating the DHSIT community as a cohesive whole uh, not just uh, uh, worrying about individual component technology delivery, but really treating uh, all of what we do at DHS uh, as as one uh, one team. And so I'm super excited about continuing that work and what's going to happen there. And then, of course, CX. I, I know I'm mentioning three, but uh, okay. if you don't mind, we're big at DHS. So um, the customer experience work and the work that uh, Dana has started uh, she is working with the components as they establish their own CX practices. And I think over the next couple of years, that is going to um, yield some incredible results uh, for anybody who interacts with DHS. And I think we've mentioned previously, DHS interacts with more humans on any given day than any other federal agency. So incredibly important work there that I'm, I'm super excited to watch what happens. You mentioned Dana. Dana is, what's her role? Dana Chisnell is the uh, executive director for the customer experience directorate that we uh, put in place last year. Uh, Dana is a, is a recognized subject matter expert in uh, the customer experience discipline from, from just years and years of work. I, I affectionately refer to her as the godmother of CX, and um, she's just an absolute uh, a gift to DHS and to the federal government. Um, really appreciate that she's serving with us. And uh, just a plug for the show, uh, we actually had Dana 
on the show uh, on our uh, CX show. So for uh, those that may have missed that, by all means, go back and uh, and take a look at the webinar. She is absolutely awesome. Nick, top two priorities for pure storage. What's the demand signal out there? What are you all going to focus on uh, to help continue to enable these capabilities? So the the two priorities almost remain unchanged in a lot of respects. Um, our our focus is on enabling federal agencies to store and ma manage and protect their data. Um, in order to deliver on their data strategies, to improve the mission and organizational outcomes. And secondly, expanding access, mobility, and security of data um, in both on-premises and cloud platforms, making that a seamless data environment, both improving operational efficiency and the sustainment economics of data. It's pretty simple. Okay. Uh, straightforward and crisp. We love the uh, the laser focus on ensuring those capabilities get on the ground. Rochelle, top two priorities for the Chief Information Officer at Immigration and Customs Enforcement over the next two years, one, two years. Uh, we have a, a couple priorities. Uh, the first is we have too many priorities coming out of the Office of Chief Information Officer for which we're responsible to have two. So you have no choice but to invest in culture and to continue doubling down on making technology delivery a team sport. Uh, for example, a little, little bit different than some of the other components, customer experience, like uh, Beth mentioned, actually is, is the responsibility of the Office of Chief Information Officer at ICE. As of this week, the uh, senior executive responsible of supporting our chief uh, artificial intelligence officer, Eric Heisen, is out of the Office of Chief Information Officer at ICE. Uh, so our big priority is culture and then in building those relationships and teams with our uh, operational partners, such as Homeland Security Investigations and AI, and with DHS and customer experience, we have no choice but to double down on culture as a priority. Uh, the second uh, priority in terms of technology delivery will be uh, providing the technology tools we need to manage the growing non-detained docket and the responsibilities that ERO has, our enforcement removal oper operations has, mm -hmm. uh, with the number of, of encounters that we're in, uh, getting at the southwest border. So we will continue to accelerate delivering technology tools that they desperately need in order to keep up with, with that demand. Technology tools and all the integration and coordination with the various uh, components and agencies that you described earlier, and you've done a masterful job of that. All right, we're going to do a fun round here, and this is for the federal executives. I'm going to ask you to talk about uh, one technology that you're looking to implement. We're not going to let you say AI, and it can be, uh, you know, sexy, not sexy, whatever. Um, but uh, let's just talk about another technology that you all are looking, maybe it's in the Petri dish in the lab, maybe it's uh, right around the corner. Beth, I'm gonna start with you. Uh, Luke, I'm, I'm gonna go to an old standard here. Anybody who, you know, who knows me knows I constantly uh, complain about uh, uh, connectivity at the edge, right? So right. We, we develop all these fabulous tools and technologies and great capability. You go to Ajo, Arizona, 
and it doesn't work. Why? Because, you know, it's somebody's copper coming out of their kitchen. So as, as I'm looking across the technology landscape that, you know, the um, ability to enhance communication and get bandwidth uh, out at the edge is critically important to me. And I think that's going to be the space that will be the next game changer, right? Everybody talks about AI and everybody's customer experience, all those things. They're, they're hugely important. What I want to see is how AI helps me and helps the mission get access to all the cool stuff um, in these low bandwidth locations. So um, we've got some, some work going on, you know, 5G, everybody was kind of hot on 5G as a potential solution set. We've done some stuff with um, the Im improvements in satellite, um, mm -hmm. mesh connectivity. Uh, that's going to be an area for me um, where I think it's, it's, there's an opportunity to really deliver. I mean, we still have old P25 radio networks that cost us a fortune and, and really don't give us all the capabilities that we need. So uh, enhancing that communications environment, hugely, huge, huge space for me. It's a, it's a great catch. And we really do appreciate you highlighting a very important gap that has been out there for, well, quite frankly, decades. Danielle, give us a, technology, a technology that you all are cooking over there. So this might be heresy uh, to say, but I'm less focused on technology and more focused on the fact that we need to get our foundational building blocks sorted out. To best point, we we struggle with the same things too. So out on the tactical edge, our, our network connectivity, the ability to access um, applications in the cloud, um, we're not able to do artificial intelligence at scale because we have a lot of what has been deemed tech debt burdens on our, our networks. We have a lot of legacy networks. Um, we've done Band-Aid approaches to the networks. Um, we have too many networks, right? So we've done modernization activities within segments of the network. My focus is really on simplifying the network making sure that it is um, the operators who use the network know the network, um, they're cognizant of that, who's on the network, what's on the network, just streamlining that and then being able, because the network's the connectivity to be able to do all the things that we describe and talk about. And if we're not, if we don't have our workloads and applications and targeted cloud environments, and we're uh, really using the cloud technology to natively build applications in the cloud, make them more cloud native, then you're not going to be able to go after artificial intelligence the way that you would want to do it. And then I think the second piece of that is being able to get a better handle on our data. And by that, I mean how we are streamlining the data elements and certain applications and workloads and making it so that if you type in one thing, it populates to all the correct uh, systems that support it, whether it's HR, logistics, financial, et cetera. There's a lot of work that needs to be done to support those very specific activities that are very much interrelated when done right to allow you to do the very cool, amazing things of uh you know, whatever the next thing's going to be right now, as Beth said on our bingo um, board, it's, it's AI. Um, but there's some fundamental things that we need to do first. And it's really focused on those business processes and the, our people. We need to make sure our people know how to use the technology and they're using it in a manner that um, helps them execute their mission. And to me, I think that's really the importance of having a CIO and what we bring to bear for our respective um, 
agencies and departments, and then partnering with our industry to ensure that we're not just going after a technology that's the silver bullet, but how it fits into um, to everything that we do and provides that critical capability um, across the board. Sometimes building on the basics is, uh, is, uh, is super important and it's certainly where you need to start. Kristen, Number one priority, or let's talk about number one technology from a priority standpoint that you're looking to implement here in the not too distant future. We too are looking at the foundational basics. Um, we are, in addition to complementing the Azure cloud that we already have stood up, we are working mm -hmm. hard to stand up our brand new AWS GSS platform, okay. which we are going to be able to focus on open architecture and putting together our domain structure. This will allow us to better utilize our data and get, move away from proprietary solutions and be able to focus on taking that data in, harnessing it, um, bringing in our TIC 3.0 pilot that we're currently working on and being able to complement the existing multi-cloud structure that we already have by adding in our AWS GSS. Multi-cloud, very important and we really, uh... We really look forward to you uh, unlocking that capability as we go forward. Rochelle, give us a, uh, a technology that you're looking to implement over the course of the next year or so. You know, rather than just uh, say a technology, since I think I'm a rule follower today and you said we weren't allowed to say AI, <laughs> I will tell you what uh, I hear the most from our operators. They don't complain about the big, uh, I think you said earlier, sexy technologies. They complain about the mundane tasks they have to do that get in the way of them doing the job that they were hired to do. So what we're really looking, and maybe I'll throw this out to industry, is for the technology that can help us organize and sort uh, uh, those mundane tasks, those things like responding to the same tasker in 17 different ways. Uh, not, not that that happens, but those kind of tasks, that the technology that can help those areas is really what we would uh, be looking to 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 look at over the next couple of years. Yes, sticking with the basics, so important. All right, well, we're getting ready to wrap it up and we actually have a, uh, a special moment here. Uh, Beth Capello, who served over three decades in the federal service, uh, is going to be uh, departing the federal service in the not too distant future. Beth started her career as a, uh, as a Marine and has worked her way up to uh, one of the highest uh, 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 entities within the federal service. And um, Beth, I just wanted to give you the floor to perhaps reflect back, maybe talk about the legacy that you're leaving, the building blocks that have been put in place. As I said, second to none over the course of since 2019 uh, to now. And uh, just give us some parting thoughts. So if I had known how many folks would reach out when the news of my retirement got out in the wild, um, I would have retired a long time ago. Um, <laughs> it's been, you know, look, you and I have known each other a very long time. I came to uh, Legacy U.S. Customs out of the Marine Corps and um, at the data center. And I thought, you know, I'll do this for a couple of years while I finish my degree, and then I'm going to go do something else because I really don't like computers very much. Um, they're cool and all, but it's not it's not my thing. And then um, I took a trip to the southern border to do some deployment work and absolutely fell in love with the mission. 
and fell in love with what technology can do to serve the mission. And so I never left. And, um, you know, in, in, well, that's not true. I did leave for a little while to be a stay-at-home mom and then 9-11 happened. And um, that changed all the future plans I had for uh, for for a career. And I came back on duty. Uh, and in the last um, couple of years here up at headquarters, I, I think uh, I mentioned, you know, coming up to headquarters was never in my grand plan. Of course, it, if in reflecting on my career, I never really had a grand plan. I just, uh, I thought I was going to do some things and then uh, reality set in. Um, it's been an absolute privilege to serve uh, the DHS mission sets. But um, when I look around and I look at people like Rochelle and I hear Rochelle talk about the work that she's doing and her passion for the mission. And I talked to Bob Costello and his passion for the mission that he's serving at CISA. Um, and so many other people across the DHS IT community, um, that's going to be the hardest thing to leave. You know, these are folks who could go anywhere and do anything um, and be successful, and they choose to serve at DHS. And, and that has been a gift, a privilege, um, a migraine some days. Um, and it's just, I'm leaving with the deepest gratitude for the mission and for the people. And, um, you know, just real briefly, Luke, um, when I mentioned when I got to headquarters, I, I probably went to headquarters with a hundred pound chip on my shoulder. You know, I'm in a component headquarters imposes all this. Actually, stuff. I think it was on both shoulders. It but was on both shoulders. All right. That's fair. And, um, and so I went up there and thought, what am, why am I here? Right. What am I going to do here? And, um, I, I am leaving feeling like I've made a difference. And I know that I am leaving the place in the hands of a technology team that I would put against anyone's. Um, they, are co they are cohesive. I've said that word about a hundred times this morning and I think it matters. Um, so uh, thank you for the opportunity, DHS. Thank you to all of my colleagues who are continuing to serve the mission. Thank you to all the partners in industry who work so hard with us to make sure that we're getting all of the best technology in place for our operators. It's been a fabulous ride. Thank you. And thank you for all that you've done to keep this country safe and be able to prosper. I can't thank you enough on behalf of 300 and however many million uh, citizens out there and beyond. So thank you very much for that, Beth. Uh, I'd also like to thank the rest of our guests here on this uh, on this show for taking the time out of their busy schedules and doing everything that you do every single day and that you're going to do every single day. We really do appreciate it. I'd also like to thank the sponsors for supporting us on the show. I'd like to thank the good people here at Federal News Network that make this program so successful and enjoyable. And most of all, I'd like to thank the listening audience out there that tune in every month. You've been listening to the Federal Executive Forum, part of the Federal News Network. Thank you for listening to the Federal Executive Forum series on Federal News Network. This show was produced by Treza Media Group. If you missed any portion of this show, you can listen to the show in its entirety and on demand at federalnewsnetwork.com.